You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, thank you for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm the Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, my guest is Axel Burnaby, who serves as Chief of Staff and Senior Policy Director at the New York State Office of Cannabis Management. Axel is responsible for standing up and overseeing all aspects of the Office of Cannabis Management. And prior to this position, he spent six years as Chief Health Counsel to Governor Cuomo, overseeing all legal and policy deliberations in the health portfolio. As part of his cannabis responsibilities, he led the expansion of the medical program, directed the launch of the state's cannabinoid hemp program, and drafted and negotiated the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. The New York State Office of Cannabis Management was established upon passage of the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act in March 2021 to implement a regulatory framework for medical and adult use cannabis and hemp in the state of New York. This includes but is not limited to production, licensing, packaging, marketing, and sale of cannabis. Welcome to the show, Axel. It's lovely to have you. It is a pleasure to be here with you, Bethany. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, but first, let's start by talking a little bit more about you and your background and things that you have worked on prior to moving into this current position in New York overseeing the cannabis program. 
Sure. Uh, happy to give you a very quick synopsis of uh, how I got here or what I was doing before cannabis, the the, the before cannabis years. Um, <laughs> my form, uh, my formative years were uh, as a lawyer and as an economist. Uh, I specialize in antitrust law, so looking at markets and market concentration, especially in the healthcare industry. That's what I was doing. So I was studying complex healthcare markets as a partner in a law firm when I decided to join uh, or was invited to join the Cuomo administration to be uh, chief health counsel for the governor. And so sort of overseeing, as you said, uh, all the health um, uh, issues and policy issues in the state of New York. That led me to um, supervise the medical program, which back in 2015 was sort of nascent, uh, as it was in many states across the country. But it really uh, piqued my interest and um, started the long journey of, I'm sure everybody's got the story of how they ended up in cannabis unexpectedly, and then it consumed their entire life. Well, that that was the pivotal moment. And then uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I was in, involved in drafting the law and then uh, passing it, negotiating it, and now standing up the agency. So that's my journey. Wow, what an excellent opportunity to really, you know, have a a, a front seat there at, at this process in establishing what is, you know, now I guess we could call it like the fastest emerging market or industry in in the U.S. Like, wow, amazing to have a, a seat at that table for sure. So, as far as your current role uh, overseeing the New York Office of Cannabis Management. Uh, you know, I'm I'm curious if you had any personal connection to the cannabis legalization movement or the industry, or as we like to say in the industry, your relationship to the plant. What are your thoughts on that? You mean you mean personally? Or are you talking about the industry stakeholders and 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 all the uh, the sort of the various policy issues over the years, um, or both, or? All of the above. <laughs> so uh, personally, I mean, I, I grew up in Canada, uh, and so we always had a slightly more liberal attitude towards uh, drug policy generally, uh, and I think we still do. And professionally, I've always uh, been a big proponent of harm reduction in, in, in drug policy. So that's the concept that criminalizing drug use is actually not only ineffective, but counterproductive because you're pushing folks to the margins of society. Uh, instead of bringing them in and dealing with with um, substance use as as a as a health concern, so I really came with that uh, that that philosophy and that perspective when I was in the governor's office. I was working on uh, you know safe safe uh, needle exchange sites and safe injection uh, facilities and um, you know ending the epidemic. Those kind of initiatives that are all kind of loosely. Uh, encompassed in a uh, harm reduction philosophy, and cannabis really fit the same the same boat in that you know we ju- we just created so much more damage you know that you know you know you know uh, exactly what I'm talking about and so do the listeners you know create a lot more damage criminalizing than from a public health perspective. Um, but I think the unique the unique uh, journey was having an antitrust background where I'd been studying for most of my professional career studying markets and studying supply chains and market dynamics and how to make sure that a market remains competitive so that small and medium-sized businesses have an opportunity to innovate and compete. Um, you know, in the in, in, in this country, we unfortunately have a bit of a, 
a, a tendency to allow markets to concentrate into oligopolies. Four or five people tend to control more than 80% of the market in almost every industry. And so, you know, one of my life's work was to try to make things more democratic. And when the governor gave me the pen and said, create a new market in New York, uh, you have flexibility on that. I ran, you know, to the stakeholders I've been working with for a long time and said, look, I think this is our opportunity to create a really progressive small business centered equitable uh, market here in New York. So I, I spent a lot of time working with stakeholders on the medical program, expanding the medical program. So I know, but I know everybody, I know deep, the Drug Policy Alliance, as well as all the ROs that, oh, sorry, the, the MSOs that are in our state. You know, I know all the CEOs um, uh, and all the advocates. I think just because I was in the governor's office and I really had to triangulate all those stakeholders and come to consensus to pass that bill, I think I got, uh, a lot of different perspectives and that really helps in understanding that there's no one solution and you got to kind of uh, bring everybody under the tent. So I think that's, that's my perspective. That's how I kind of approach the issues and I still, still approach them that way. Wonderful. Yeah. I think that was all really well stated as well. And yeah, DPA has been around for a long, long time. I, I, I know as a 20 plus year medical marijuana act activist myself and, you know, to your point as well, the, the war on drugs has caused more harm uh, than than any harm that cannabis could have caused individuals. And um, the opioid crisis, I think, is something that we speak to a bit on this issue where cannabis has now, it's now an exit drug, not a gateway drug. It, it has helped folks who are trying to reduce their opioid um uh, addictions or or completely get away from opioids cannabis has been an alternative to assist them in that process as well Precisely. so yeah, th yeah yeah thank you thank you so much for sharing about that background it's all uh, important harm reduction work as well so so let's talk about what you're up to these days now here here in present day 2023 um, as i mentioned you are the chief of staff and senior policy director with the New York Office of Cannabis Management. So what are you up to? What What's happening? What's what's new? Well, it's pretty exciting. I mean, we are a year and a half in. So the bill, like you said, passed in March of 2021, but there was a bit of a you know, power struggle and scandal at the time surrounding the Governor Cuomo. So nothing really got done until the end of 2021. That's when we were given our board uh, and Chris, the executive director and myself who had been working together on this, uh, for, for five years, you know, we're sort of given the green light to create the agency. The way we set it up in the bill, which I think was really um, smart in hindsight and highly recommended, is to centralize all the functions under a newly created agency. So, you know, some jurisdictions have it under ag, parts under ag and mark, you know, ag, ag, Department of Agriculture, parts of it under Department of Health. We put it all under the Office of Cannabis Management. So we have responsibility for the medical program, for the cannabinoid hemp, anything hemp related that's not industrial, and for adult use. So on essentially on January 1st, we launched of 2022, we launched this new office. We had about a dozen or 15 employees. And in the first year and a half now, we're, we've uh, cleared 150 employees. Um, you know, we have a budget of about $56 million. We have enforcement. Uh, we have offices in, in several uh, counties. And, you know, we've really been busy doing that. But we also didn't want, we also realized that moving quickly is, is also a major uh, advantage for regulators 
uh, you have to move quickly at the beginning. So we issued some early licenses to uh, some of our hemp farmers. So we have 292 cultivation licenses that were issued within four or five months of the office being stood up. And then we also ran some um, uh, equity-based dispensary licenses out really quickly, which we've been rolling out. So what we've been trying, what we really tried to do the first year and a half is stand up a supply chain that was really grounded in small family-owned farms in rural New York, feeding, you know, social equity uh, folks that had a former conviction for marijuana possession or uh, or, or sale. They, that was a precondition to getting the first sort of 300 dispensary licenses. So we built that supply chain and now we're rounding the corner with our regs that, that should be done and final by the by August where we can then launch the rest of the market, letting everybody in, keeping an eye out for equity, but letting everybody in to sort of build on top of that equity-driven uh, supply chain that we managed to set up fairly quickly. So that that's the dream. We've had some speed bumps, no doubt. You know, folks have heard of the illegal illegal, illegal shops in New York. Um, uh, you know, some of the, the rollout's a little slower on some of the dispensaries as they face some headwinds with the capital markets being severely constrained and some of the um, build-out slowdowns with COVID. So, you know, it's never easy, but we are pretty proud of who's been getting the first licenses and 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 how quickly we've been getting uh, that supply chain established. Excellent. Sounds very thoughtful for sure. <laughs> All right, let's take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and chat more with Axel from the New York State Office of Cannabis Management. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore with NCIA, and I'm speaking with Axel Burnaby from the New York State Office of Cannabis Management. So let's get more into it. Let's talk about 
what's happening in New York in addition to what you already shared about the rollout uh, of, of licenses uh, to the hemp farmers and some thoughtful social equity dispensary licenses. Um, from what I understand, New York decided to implement a two-tiered market system as opposed to what we've seen in some other states, which is mostly what's called vertical integration. So could you tell me a little bit more about what a two-tiered market system really is and how it works and why New York has gone with this decision of how to uh, form the, the new cannabis industry in that state? Happy to do that, Bethany. I mean, that might be my favorite topic. Remember, I'm an antitrust <laughs> attorney at heart. So I will ask you to, you know, tell me to be quiet if I go on for too long. But it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's both technical in some respects, but it's also really uh, a very interesting big picture question for for folks in the industry. You're right. What we did is we adopted the, the statute itself requires us to implement a two-tier model, which means that suppliers, growers, distributors, producers cannot own dispensaries. And this is the easiest way to think about this is what we've all lived in for 100 years in alcohol, uh, wine and liquor and beer. You know, Jack Daniels can't produce alcohol and then sell it at Jack Daniels stores. They sell it through small mom and pop shops that actually sort of carry all sorts of brands and don't get paid for carrying those brands, right? That's the key. What we've noticed in other jurisdictions is that, you know, suppliers are competing against one another as they normally would, but their competition takes the, takes the form of essentially incentivizing or paying for shelf space at the retail level. So the more money you have, the, the better the chance that you can get your product on that shelf space at the retail. And we found that you know, that wasn't necessarily resulting in the best products. If, if you have small growers or even big growers that have innovative products, but don't have the wherewithal or the desire to pay to get those and don't want to spend money to get products on shelves, um, they're not going to be able to get to consumers. And so um, we followed Washington State, which is the only other state in the country that, that implemented a two-tier model. What's interesting about New York is we're really a demand state. We're a consumer state much more than a producer state. Um, and so really our focus in New York is on how consumers consume and what choice is made available to them. We also have, you know, not only a 20 million person market, but we have hundreds of millions of tourists and often international tourists. We also have a, a center of banking and branding. So, so there's a lot of pressure in New York for brands to get into consumers, to get into stores. And we figured, why not make it the most competitive market in the country by not allowing people to buy their way into retail, but forcing them to have the best product. And so the way we set it up is, essentially, if you're a brand from out of state or anywhere in the world and you want to come compete in New York, you can come in, no questions asked, very low barriers to entry. You can come in and get a, you can either try to get a, a grower license or more likely if you're a brand and you already have your SOPs, and you already have your product information, you can partner with a processor in New York, buy biomass from our growers, and then go forward with a branding, essentially an IP agreement or white labeling agreement. We'll let you in. We'll make it a real low barrier to entry for you to get that license. And then you know, we'll cap how big you get. So we're not looking for sort of mediocre, half a million uh, square feet of grow kind of operators. But if you, know, if you keep it sort of tight uh, in terms of scale, 
um, we're going to let you sort of compete with everybody else to try to make it into these retail stores. And these retail stores are going to be completely independent. They can't accept any incentives. They can't carry any merchandise. They can't just like in, in liquor and, and wine. And that's why you have so much diversity in wine stores, really, right? You have just these wine own wine store owners that go out, pick the best wine they can find from the sort of most arcane small uh, vineyards. And, and they carry them because they love the wine. They love, they love, in this case, they love the plant. So that's what's exciting about New York. We're hoping that we can actually be the, you know, ground zero for the most competitive brands to get into a highly coveted retail store that may advertise that brand to the world. So that's the dream. Um, I think we're on our way to making that a reality, but it takes a lot of work making sure that we, uh, you know, capture anybody who's trying to influence uh, things across the tiers meaning like a supplier that's trying to backdoor and influence a retailer to carry their brand. So Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, thank you so much for breaking that down. Um, it's interesting that New York and Washington state are the only two states that are um, using this approach for um, regulating the industry there. And, um, and, and if I can, it creates a bit of a, you know, I think some of the complaints you might hear just a quick point is that you know the rest of the country, to your point exactly, isn't organized this way. So most funds, most investors, most operators sort of play in both the supply and retail tier. They they may have a farm in Humboldt, and then they may also invest in some retail store or whatnot. But if they have any interest on the supply tier, even, even just a farm in California or Michigan, they can't own a retail dispensary here, right? Because they could just come in with their farm, partner up, like I explained, with a processor here in New York. And then if they own the retail store, that's all the, that's the only thing they'd buy. It would influence their decision making, which is what we're trying to stop. So so the complaints you may hear, uh, or I have heard, and I understand them, is that some folks on the outside are like, whoa, well, you guys are the only ones organized this way. Um, and I'm already involved on the supply side, but I really want to get into New York. And my answer is, you can. Why don't you keep doing what you do well? You obviously grow good weed. You know, do it in New York. Do it on the supply side, but and compete. You know, compete with every with fairly with everybody and, and get your get your product in in the retail. The only other person that's proposed doing this is Schumer. Uh, in his proposal, uh, you know, they are advocating for a two tier market, which would be really interesting because uh, it'd have to sort of reshuffle the country, and uh, there would only be really two of us that are already organized in that way. Right. Well, I mean, earlier, earlier on many years ago, you know, here in Colorado, for example, vertical integration was, uh, you know, the only way to go. And it did force some, you know, strange business marriages or bedfellows uh, of, of people, you know, forcing themselves together in order to, you know, vertically integrate, um, which, you know, could in some cases resulted in some, you know, awkward business relationships that didn't work out very well. Sure. So, you know, I, I, I see the benefits as well of, of creating those lanes for, for these operators to stay in as well. Um, we have just a minute or two before our next commercial break, but um, I, I want to start talking about, um, I've, I've heard New York's cannabis market is, something called True Parties of Interest, mm -hmm. TPI. This is new to me. Um, it's above my pay grade, as they say. So <laughs> can you, could you break that down for me as well? There, absolutely, Bethany. I mean, there is a simple explanation to this too. The TPI framework was borrowed from Washington State. That's the language they use. And all it means is 
for every for, for, for the reasons I just explained on the two tier, remember, what we're trying to do is make sure that if you grow and manufacture a product that you or your partner or your spouse, you know, or your company doesn't also own a retail store, right? Because if not, that retailer will buy only that and it won't be real competition at the retail level. So in order to figure out whether any grower really has or doesn't have an interest in retail, what we do is we do a t we ask for that grower's true all their true parties of interest. So all we say is, look, all your, you know, who owns you? Oh, well, I have a fund that owns 40% of my business. Okay, well, we need to understand who owns that fund. Because if that fund also is owned by someone that has a retail interest, that could be a problem with a two-tier. So it's just, it's a form of ownership analysis that's more thorough. A lot of states ask, you know, who owns and try to find out where the money goes. That's fairly common. Uh, they do, you know, background checks. So we're just thorough in that. We call it our true party of interest. We want to understand all the true parties of interest around each licensee to make sure that there's no funny games and influence across the tier. So it's really just the mechanism to enforce the two tiers. That That's all it really is. But but it's thorough and people are, you know, okay. don't necessarily love it <laughs> when it's thorough. Gotcha. No, you know, checks and balances are are an important part of of all of this at the end of the day. So appreciate that explanation for sure. Um, all right, let's take our last commercial break and then we'll come right back and talk more with Axel about what's going on in the New York cannabis market. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, talking with Axel Burnaby of the New York Office of Cannabis Management and getting a greater understanding of how the program up there, how the market is set up and how it's different from some other states here in the U.S. Um, before I ask my final question, I do want to mention that NCIA's winter and spring event series is well underway. Uh, we've already been to several cities and we are coming to New York on April 27th. So our New York industry social is an evening networking reception. Uh, tickets are complimentary for current NCIA members and there's some non-member tickets available as well. It's a great opportunity to mix and mingle and meet your fellow cannabis industry professionals and operators and learn more about what NCIA is doing at the federal level uh, on lots of bills in Congress, more bills this year than, than previous years as well, um, including the comprehensive legislation, the more holistic bills um, that are very thoughtful in legalizing the market um, nationwide or descheduling or what have you. So um, go to our website, thecannabisindustry.org, head to our events section. And whether you're in New York, you can register for our New York industry social. We're also going to Oregon, Florida, Massachusetts, Illinois, Michigan. And of course, this is all leading up to our 11th annual cannabis industry lobby days happening May 16th, 17th, and 18th. Uh, I could go on and on about lobby days for hours because it's so amazing and exciting to uh, get into these offices 
uh, for members of Congress, both the House and Senate side, and really have a sit down conversation with them about what it's like to be a cannabis operator in the U.S. and all the challenges that we're facing, ranging from banking access to Section 280E of the IRS tax code, and so on and so forth. So head to thecannabisindustry.org to learn more about all those events. And Axel, as we're starting to wrap up this episode, um, do you have any advice or anything else that you would like to share with either potential cannabis license applicants or investors who are looking to operate in the state of New York? Um, you know, I think understanding the framework I described is key to, to investing, but once you familiarize yourself with how, uh, the industry is structured and how it's a little unique here in New York, I think there should be an appreciation for why New York represents a very interesting, uh, investment opportunity. You know, we are going, we are, we are doing a very, rational and paced rollout of licenses. So we're not flooding the market. We're not looking to have the market crash and drive people out of business. So, you know, we're not capping in the long run licenses, but we are limiting the number of licenses for the for the foreseeable future as we roll out. So I think there's an opportunity, particularly in retail, when you think that the retail sector is is insulated from the traditional uh, um, you know capital that would be involved in in the supply side and other markets. There's an opportunity to come in and fund uh, New York retailers and really you know invest. We have uh, we have uh, passive investor rules that are very favorable and generous for people coming in who want to invest in multiple retailers. So you know you can't be involved in the supply side, but if you want to take a bet uh, on New York's retail scene. There really is uh, a, t- a ton of very interesting business happening right now, and they're looking for capital. They're starting up. We're, you know, keeping them spaced. We're keeping them limited, so they're they're going to do well. Our first five that are already open are doing very well, uh, and we're going to be transitioning that illicit market to those legal stores. So there's a real upside there. So for me, you know, I think this idea that New York is open for business. Uh, in particular for small and medium-sized businesses. That's how we keep a public health focus, a public safety, and an equity focus is by keeping it really in the hands of small and medium-sized businesses. So if you're an investor in that space, ESG, this is this is an interesting market for you. I love that. That aligns a, a lot with NCIA's values of supporting these small and medium-sized businesses or Main Street cannabis, as it were, and yep. really allowing small mom and pop boutique family owned equity owned businesses an opportunity to thrive and be successful it's amazing thank you so much for sharing all that um for listeners who are interested in learning more um where can we go on the internet to find out more well certainly you want to go to the office of cannabis management website um we really do try to put as much information on our website as possible. And that's just uh, cannabis.ny.gov. So fairly simple um, to, to, to look at. And, um, and then, you know, we, we, we're active on social media. We're, you know, we're really trying to, we do a, a, as good a job for, for the reasons we were saying to make sure that everybody has a chance to participate. We really try to get out into the community and let folks know 
what opportunities are coming, when licensing is opening and, and all those aspects. But I did want to mention, Bethany, I do agree, you know, the NCIA has that reputation. I think it's really important that folks understand that it's not a given, you know, that there are um, like any other industry, there's a, a proclivity towards concentration that uh, especially with 280E, uh, ta- you know, the tax problem with mm-hmm. with the federal illegality, with the difficulty of state by state, it is it is easy for for folks to just sort of roll things up and 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 it's easier to function as a larger company. So uh, we really appreciate that you guys are on the lookout for uh, for folks that that are trying to keep you know keep their their smaller businesses, mid sized businesses alive. That that's really that's really our focus here too. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I think this has been really valuable for our listeners to to learn more about the how and why of what's what's happening in New York's cannabis market as it rolls out here. So thank you again. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.